My niche is helping the parents see that most of the time, it's not that the kid needs counseling, it's that there's something differently the parents can do. And behavior transforms as a result of that, not because the kid's getting treatment or they're on some medicine. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple. If you want proven nutrition strategies to help you build a better body and create the energy to show up for your family without overly restrictive and unrealistic dieting, then you're in the right place. Make sure to subscribe and enjoy this episode. Have you ever been in a situation with your kids where you feel yourself losing control? What about when you say no a thousand times only to have them completely ignore you and do it anyways? My personal favorite is when I find myself yelling at my kids to stop yelling. Is it normal for us parents to feel like we don't know what the heck we're doing and find ourselves in a constant power struggle with our children? Today I'm excited to get some answers from Dan Peterson a licensed clinical professional counselor and advanced trainer from the Nurtured Heart Approach. Dan's zone of genius is coaching parents who are at their wits end because no matter how hard they try and what approach they use, their children's behavior is not improving. After 25 years of working as a child therapist, he created a 90-day parent coaching model to transform their child's difficult behavior and master the following three things, which is what we discuss in today's episode. First is to be able to decrease drama, conflict, and power struggles. Second is to create positive connection with our children while helping them become values-driven. And third is to be able to utilize discipline model that focuses on increasing self-control skill development and accountability as opposed to escalating consequences that you and I both know do not work. Dan's vision is to train and coach teachers and parents so that they in turn can provide all children with the best possible environment to flourish. He is committed to bridging the gap between home and school. It's Dan's belief that the nurtured heart approach not only uncovers the greatness within every child, but it also provides him or her with an internal compass for life. I have to tell you that in just the last few weeks of leveraging some of the tools that Dan shared with me in this conversation, I'm finding myself being much more intentional about how I show up as a parent to be able to give my kids the skills and the tools to function like the children, frankly, that I know that they can be. And I've absolutely seen a change in their behavior because of it. And if I can see a change, I'm confident that you can as well. So if you're a parent that has found yourself struggling with how to effectively discipline your kids, uh, which I don't know what parent hasn't, then this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show is for you. Without further ado, here's Dan Peterson. I hope you guys enjoy. Dan Peterson, welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. What is good, brother? Yeah, right now life is good. Yeah three kids in school and um, I get to work from home. So that's fantastic. Is it? Do you, do you yeah. actually enjoy working from home? What I love about working home is I am here when my kids wake up. I'm here when they get yeah. on the bus and I am here when they get home. So I'm like the first and last thing they say before they leave the house or before they return. So I love that connection with them. Like I work from home too, but I can honestly say that I don't always make a concerted effort to like be present for that kind of breakfast off to school, get home, snack, you know, is that like part of your, your daily responsibility? Yeah for, yeah, for sure. Like it's part of my responsibility. My wife is she's a teacher and she's out of the house before anybody even wakes up. So um, it's part of my responsibility, but it's, it, it's something I'm intentional about having conversations with my kids. I feel like I have the best connection and the best time with my kids when it's spontaneous in the morning or right when they get home yeah. from school. So I just want to be available. Sometimes, you know, they walk in the door and it's like, I'm not here, but most of the time they want to <laughs> totally. tell me something. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like it's almost necessary or warranted that you would be the type of parent that would do those types of things since that's obviously your profession, which might as well, let's jump in and talk about what it is that you do. And I guess I'll start by asking you, why do parents come to you for help? Well, several reasons. Initially, parents are coming to me because their kids are having some kind of intense behavior and whatever discipline or whatever kind of parenting style they use, it's not working. 
and they're at their wit's end. So most of the referrals that I get, it's like, my kid needs therapy. Can you help get my kid to behave differently? Or somebody at the school said, I need a referral. I need to get my kid in to see treat, you know, for, for treatment. But kind of the, the approach I take or my niche is helping the parents see that most of the time, it's not that the kid needs counseling. It's that there's something differently the parents can do to be the therapist or to provide whatever it is that they're needing. And behavior transforms as a result of that, not because the kid's getting treatment or they're on some medicine. And the, and the cool thing about that is when things get better and it's because of the work the parents are doing, the parents get the credit and the relationship between the parent and the child is enhanced instead of stress because there's conflict all the time. I can absolutely relate to the, the issues related to the misbehaving child and the outbursts and the discipline issues and wondering like, what is wrong with my child? Why is it that they're behaving this way? I think that so much of, of what we develop as an adult or through our own childhood lends itself to the way that we discipline our kids is right. The way that we were disciplined and the confusion that lies around and the stress that comes from not really knowing what to do in those situations, because invariably it's like the, no, I said, don't do this. How many times do I have to tell you I'm outbursting at them? Stop doing this. You stop yelling while I'm yelling at them, right? All of those types of things. Yeah, so ping pong. absolutely. And yeah. the frustration that ensues. And so I, I, I'm imagining that these are the conversations that you're having with parents is this is what my child is doing that is quote unquote wrong or misbehaving in these ways. And what I'm hearing is that you're helping the parent develop the, well, for lack of a better term, leadership skills or improving the relationship through communication and setting a better example in order to teach them better skills. And I'm sure you can explain that much better. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things. One is most of the parents that I work with they're struggling because their approach is not currently working. And, and kind of the typical statements I hear from parents is, I would have never acted like that when I was a kid, no matter what I do as far as discipline or consequence. Mm. They don't seem to care. doesn't matter. They don't change. They have these emotional reactions and outbursts that are way out of context. You know, more from a diagnosis point of view, I work with a, a lot of families that have kids with anxiety, depression, ADHD, but I'm, I'm not big on labels. It, it basically, it's, the behavior that's happening at home is causing a tremendous amount of stress and friction. The approach and tools I have are not working. I feel helpless. I deeply care about my kid and I don't know what to do. And kind of the, the way the mental health field traditionally works is, well, let's fix your kid by getting them therapy or putting them on medicine. When in, in my experience, most of the time, that's not even necessary. What's really necessary is helping the parents understand okay, my kid's wired differently for whatever reason. This is what's happening. Here's what I can do. And just as importantly, here's what I need to stop doing. So th there's like three things that I'm highly focused on whenever I'm coaching parents. And that's how do you disengage from all the power struggles, the conflict, the unnecessary drama? And you, you were kind of alluding to that when you said, you know, we're just kind of escalating with each other. Right, right. Making decisions because I'm frustrated. Um, the, the second component of that is how do I proactively intentionally build my kid up on the inside and not by giving them rewards or like privileges. It's like, how do I speak and connect in a way that changes the way that they see themselves? So kind of their own story, their own narrative is, is aligned with I'm competent, I'm capable. I, I have self-control. I have respect. I am kind. I am thoughtful, like self value driven. And when kids think that way, and believe that that's true, then the behavior transforms mm. as a result of that, not because some intense consequence or some, I, I call it manipulative rewards, you know, you're just right. trying to give privileges or prizes to get them to behave. But, and, and then the third area of focus is how do I discipline my kid in a way that teaches skills and how do they level up and at the same time teach accountability? So I made a mistake. What can I do to fix that? learn from it, move forward, as opposed to 
you made a mistake, you need to pay, here's your consequence. It's like shame and punishment based. Right. And when you have all three of those things working in unison, really what happens is you're connecting to your kid in a very positive, emotionally nutritious way. And at the same time, you're not injecting any drama into the problems and discipline that just inadvertently always make things worse. You're giving more attention to the fact that they're misbehaving than they're actually acting as a responsible young person. Yeah, that, that's the way our brain is wired. Like their neurology and physiology of the human brain says when things are going well, you don't need to attend to it. Yeah. When things are going poorly, you need to address it, fix it, solve it. And that, you know, that's great if your house is on fire <laughs> or you have a deadline you need to make to meet and you got to get something done. But when your kid's misbehaving at home and you respond and react that way, a lot of times you're, you're accidentally teaching your kid, hey, when I have problems, mom or dad will stop whatever they're doing and connect. And so why would I give those problems up if it's a way to deeply connect, even, even though if it's through adversity? I'm automatically imagining just the cartoon picture of a parent just kind of pointing and like yelling at the right. child, you know, in the child's brain. It's like they probably don't want to get yelled at overtly, but subconsciously is like, this is attention and I'm craving attention. And so I'll do anything I can do to create that level of attention. Yeah. And I, I would even take it like a, a layer deeper than that. It's we use attention is a very common word when we're talking about you ignore negative behavior or you don't give it attention or you pay attention to things that are going well. This is like more about deep connection. So it's attention, it's emotion, it's, it's awareness. When you're deeply connected to your kid, there's a whole lot of things that are happening physiologically that, that are meeting needs that they have. We're not meant yeah. to live in isolation. So, right. you know, kids are wired to seek connection and, you know, attention, I think, is kind of the umbrella of it, but there's lots of like categories under it. Yeah. And I think that's well put in that it's obviously not just us being present with them, but they want to know that we're actually engaged. We're, we're using our senses with them. We're, we're seeing them. We're hearing them. You know, maybe we're touching we're, um, all of these things. And it shows them deeply that that we care that we're present for them it's not just us mm -hmm. sitting with them but being on our our phone at the same right. time because clearly they can see and know and and experience that we're not present mm -hmm. and, and you know the other thing about that too is have you ever been in a room with someone where you're not talking you're not making eye contact but you can feel tension of course yeah so so kids are actually designed to be like connected to that before language even develops. So yeah. they're aware of what our emotional state is. They're aware of where our heart rate's at, like our blood pressure's at. That's why some kids are so good at knowing what our triggers are. Right. Um, so when, you know, when a lot of people say like, ignore negative behavior or don't pay attention to it, good luck. Unless you can control your heart rate. <laughs> all your, like kids are going to know that they're getting under your skin or that you're ignoring them. So I guess it's kind of just a, like a big way of saying it, it's a lot deeper than just paying attention, like where you're present and you're making eye contact or engaging. It's your emotional state. It's your physiology. It's, it's what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're believing. My, my son said to me this morning, he, he has a lot of anxiety and he, he is just super in tune and sensitive to the emotional states of other people. Yeah. And he was struggling with going to school today. He's like, are, are you mad at me because I'm not going to school or I'm having a hard time? I'm like, mad? Like, that's a last emotion. I, I was feeling helpless and frustrated because I didn't know what to do to help him feel better. But he was reading all of my body language and it was mm. like, I'm angry and upset, or at least that was his perception. So I was, I was giving him all of that energy and that was the way he was receiving it. And I had no intention of doing that. So you have to get really good at being self-aware of where your energy and where your attention and like kind of what you're emitting because kids are constantly interpreting that and, yeah. and it's sending them a mess hit the message he was receiving that dad's mad because I'm, I'm having a hard time. That's so interesting. And, and really lends itself to why it's so important for us to learn the ways to appropriately connect with our children so yeah. that we can give ourselves and them the opportunity to develop the skills 
to be able to handle their emotions for us to be able to handle our emotions. And so that we can actually truly connect, because I don't think that there's any parent that doesn't want to truly connect with their children. And the last thing that we want to have happen is to be in a position where their behavior is contributing to us just wanting to push them away. But obviously, when parents are in a situation where the kids are, pre- are presenting with these challenges, it makes it very, very difficult, which clearly is what you help parents do is, is kind of yeah. developing the skills to be able to communicate. I'm curious, how did you develop the skill set? What's your, your you know, brief background in terms of how you have created this type of practice? First of all, I'm the oldest of six boys. So my mom and dad had me when they were 18. And by the time they were, I think, 32, they had six kids. So a, a lot of like my upbringing, I was helping out, taking care of my brothers. And for me, that was, that was my training and, and kind of yeah, my induction totally. to, to, to taking care of kids. Like I, I am instinctually and intuitively aware of what kids need. I, I can go into a classroom, you know, at my kid's school and like within a 30 seconds, uh, be able to connect and, and find the kids that are struggling to connect socially or maybe are on the outskirts looking in or the kids that are like, I call them the energy seekers, the one that are yeah. constantly bouncing around and looking for more connection, not because they have ADHD, but because they're just highly anxious and want to know that they're valued and they're loved. And I, I think just from a young age, I was just kind of put in a position where I had to, you know, think, what do the kids need? Right. And, and thankfully for me, I think that aligns with my temperament, my personality and my gifting. So th- th- that was kind of my upbringing. But when I was, um, I think I was probably 22, I did an internship while I was in my undergrad with a child who had autism. And I'd go to his house, probably three hour shifts, three or four times a week, and just really help teach this kid different skills and immediately just fell in love with kids that were behind the eight ball that had disabilities or some kind of challenge that was like, like they were struggling with. But at, at the same time, I was like really good at it. Mm-hmm. it. It just felt like it was really natural for me. And I just felt like at peace. And a lot of the people I worked with were totally stressed out. And it, it, it's, it's kind of funny. This first kid I worked with, he was super aggressive when he got dysregulated. And he, he would go through counselor after counselor after counselor, just beating the crap out of him. And he was seven years old at the time. And with me, he, he was actually aggressive with me one day out of the five years I worked with him. And that was it. The other times he was asking his parents if we could have sleepovers. (laughs) I was Mm. having sleepovers because he he saw me as safe. And then like this kid, this guy that understood him, he wanted to be around me. He ended up being the junior groomsman in my wedding. Oh, that's Uh, great. My wife and I got married, but that kind of introduced me to the field of psychology. I ended up getting a master's degree in clinical psych and been in the field for about 25 years, worked in like hospital settings, uh, residential homes, work in public school, private school. But right, right now my niche and kind of my focus is I have a parent coaching business where it's really training and equipping parents that have kids with some challenging behavior a roadmap, a set of skills, a tool, um, some tools on how do I connect with my kid, build them up, how do yeah. I discipline without drama so that our relationship at home is as good as it possibly could be. I appreciate you sharing that. And that's really the, the main reason why I wanted to have you here for our listeners is because it wouldn't seem super logical to, to be talking behavioral psychology on a nutrition and fitness coaching show. But at the end of the day, I think it's very, very relevant. I know that there's a lot of parents listening that have young kids that have perceived behavioral issues. In fact, I don't really know many parents who don't have children that misbehave. I don't know that that exists. And so liars, 100%. So I think that when it comes to this show, when it comes to our philosophy around health and fitness and nutrition and lifestyle change, I think it's about empowering the individual to take ownership over their actions. I think that when we're in a position in our life where we're trying to create change in any capacity, whether it's 
it's individual change, whether it's, it's marital change, whether it's change within our, our family dynamic. It's pivotal that we understand our own behaviors, uh, and particularly as it lends itself to these family relationships and not being the type of person to make excuses and or push the onus onto the child or onto the fact that there's quote unquote something wrong with my child, but rather to look first and foremost at if the child is misbehaving in any capacity, how is that a direct reflection of the behaviors that I'm representing, the example that I'm setting in the household. And with that said, is is it that kids are wired differently when it comes to misbehaving? Or is it, in your experience and opinion, really just a matter of miscommunication, a reflection of parental behaviors? Yeah, so it, it's oftentimes it's both. But the only way to really be able to discern is this behavior a result of some incompetency, like the kid can't control it, or the behavior is a reflection of some problem, need, in- ineptness on their part, versus it's just non-compliance. I could behave differently, but this behavior is useful in the dynamics of the home. It's, right. it's very difficult for most parents to be able to discern that. And if you don't know, if you're not able to discern that, you're going to be very inconsistent because not- non-compliance needs discipline. Incompetence needs help, support, patience, intervention. And if a kid's coming from a place of like incompetence, I can't control it. That's why I'm dysregulated or acting out or impulsive. And you discipline that, that that's like punishing someone yeah. that can't read and they've never been taught. Yeah, makes right? sense. Or, or if, if somebody is non-compliant and, and they're just choosing to be disrespectful or act out and you don't give that discipline. In fact, you're just allowing it to continue. You're, you're actually enabling and encouraging that behavior to continue. So it, I guess what I'm saying, it's imperative that you're able to discern the difference. And for me, what I'm really good at is helping train the parents to be able to discern the difference. To be able to do that, you have to take a look at yourself. You have to say, what am I bringing to the table? What what am I doing or how am I responding in a way that might encourage this kid to continue to act out? And, and once you get really good at being able to assess that and then you change, if you still have behavior that's consistently happening from your kid, it means they need help. And so in, in your experience, generally speaking, is it, is it really that it's incompetence or is it that it's really just discipline related? In, in my experience and in the families that I work with currently, at least 80, 90% of the time, it's non-compliance. Right. My, my hyperactivity, my impulsivity, my aggression, my not listening and needing you to tell me six times until you raise your voice. Or, or twice. <laughs> uh, yeah, or twice. That, that is a result of the function within the home or the dynamics within the home. And th- this is kind of sad, Ben, but... Did you know that 75% of ADHD diagnoses are like false positives? Dude, I would have, I would assume <laughs> that in a heartbeat because it just seems so rampant. Well, and, and, and so if you have a kid that meets the criteria for ADHD, they're impulsive, hyperactive, inattentive, 75% of the time people see those lists or those, the, that list of behaviors and say, okay, this is ADHD. However, a lot of kids are super impulsive because every time they're walking around the classroom, the teacher will stop whatever they're doing to go sit down or the kid right. next to them will say, knock it off or somebody laughs. Right. Like, is that really because the kid can't sit still or is it because they're seen and noticed and celebrated, whether it's good or bad, <laughs> you know? So, so if you don't have a set of tools on how to deal with that and assess that. And you're constantly saying, stop it, don't stop it, don't. What do I have to tell you 10 times? Yeah, yeah, um, right. Or you get six chances, everybody else gets one. What, it doesn't surprise me that all these kids are supposedly ADHD when really they're just energy seeking, attention seeking. And when they get it in the right way, psychologically, nutritionally, they don't need to have those problems to be seen, noticed, connected to fit in. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And, and like I said, I mean, I think so much of this is about us taking ownership over our behaviors mm-hmm. as a leader in the family. And as someone that clearly the child is watching all of the time, we, we very clearly know that 
their behaviors are a reflection of our behaviors. And it's not saying that, you know, we're disrespectful or we have outbursts, but obviously, as you have alluded to, that's their way of getting the attentiveness that, that they're craving. I, I hope that for listeners, this is perhaps creating a bit of a light bulb around, okay, so what I'm hearing right now is that my child may have these types of behaviors. Clearly it's frustrating and um, it's stressful. What we're hearing from you, Dan, is that you have the tools to be able to help us as parents to create these types of relationships and sort of change the dynamic by virtue of not focusing on the negative behaviors, but instead, what do the first steps look like to be able to help create the change that clearly we have the power to do. How do we right. do that? The first place I always start with parents is helping them fully understand and embrace that they are the prize. Like our attention, our energy, our connection with our kids, that, that is the gift. That's what makes us the prize. It, it's more powerful than video games, toys, friends, anything. And, and the reason that is, is because kids are created to need connection. They're, they're not born with, I know that I'm good. I know that I'm loved. I know that I'm right. valuable or I'm competent. Video games, toys, all that stuff is entertainment, but it doesn't teach them anything about who they are. They, they only get that sense of belonging from the, from the parent. And, and so once you're aware that like my attention and energy, I like that is the gift and the most powerful reinforcement, everything else that you do makes perfect sense when you look through that lens. So, so that, that's kind of the foundation. The, the three steps, it, it's kind of like a, a tripod. You have to have these three stands all working in unison to really have a transformative effect on your kid. Mo most parents have done all three of these, but not in unison. Yeah. The, the, the first step is you have to get really good at not giving unnecessary energy to the problem. Mm lectures, warnings, countdowns, the threat. Yeah, totally. If you, if, if you don't stop, then you're going to have this consequence. If you want this, you got to do that first. Raising your voice. Damn it, I, man. I, you're, you're killing me here. <laughs> well, but, but see, the, the whole premise behind this is the reason you're doing that is because you care and you love your kid. Totally. Our, our brain actually turns on when our kids are misbehaving. So let's go address it. But when we address it and give lots of connection and energy to it, we're inadvertently teaching our kids to have problems to get us. So yeah. that's, that's the first step. The second step, and this is like a paradigm shift because this goes against the way that we're wired, is that you have to proactively and intentionally give that energy and connection to the moments where things are going well or, or and when problems are not happening. And it's not junk food. It's not good job, way to go. That was awesome. Mm. I'm proud of you. Basically, when we communicate that way, what we're telling our kids is mom or dad is happy with what you're doing. And then you have these kids that are like people pleasers, constantly needing external validation for their work. Right. Give me an example of one of the character traits that's important to you that you want to see your kids demonstrate. Like the a character uh, respect. Quality. Yeah, respect. So what triggers or prompts you to have a conversation with your kids about respect? Well, clearly would be when they're being disrespectful. It's like, yeah. hey, I, this is not our expectation, right? Yeah. So, and that's where now I'm reflecting on all of my conversations with my children <laughs> and, <laughs> and realizing how much better I can do. And, and when you do talk to your kids about the importance of respect, when you're lecturing them about why that was wrong, how do your kids respond? Are, are they like, uh, they're yeah. looking, they're looking yeah. off in the different direction. And uh, my son is usually like, Hey dad, can we watch that? I'm like, dude, listen yeah. to me. I'm, I'm talking to you right now. And he's, he's meant talking about something completely different. Of yeah. course he's, he's it, it actually activates this defense mechanism because when you're talking to your kid about respect while they're being disrespectful, it implies they're disrespectful. They're bad. And so then yeah. that's a shame message. And then right. their defense goes up. Let me talk about something else. A lot of kids will like make excuses. It was his fault. It was her fault. There's no learning that happens. So the paradigm shift is the time to talk about respect is when you have evidence in real time of respect occurring. Yeah. Johnny, right now you're listening while I'm talking. You're not interrupting. That shows respect. Or you're looking at me right in the eye. That shows maturity. 
you know, it's, it's real time evidence, facts that are happening in the moment. And then you make accusations that this is what it says about you. The time to talk about self-control is in the classroom, especially. I see that you're sitting in the chair, your feet are on the floor, your book is open, your eyes are on me, you're not talking out. That shows a lot of self-control. It's kind of like a boring lesson. But look mm. how you're mastering that. Like the message that kids are getting is I'm competent, I'm seen, I'm noticed, I have respect, I have self-control. Like, and I'm getting the attention and the affirmation of the prize in the room, which is the teacher. It's a completely different download. So interesting, man. And it makes sense, right? Because this is behavioral psychology, but it makes so much sense around, frankly, how we coach our clients using specific positive feedback. Isn't that what this is? Is this is what I'm observing? And this is the trait that it lines up with. These are the values that you said that you uphold. And this is how your behaviors and you reinforcing these behaviors line up with the type of person that you said you are or want to be so that they can take ownership over those characteristics. Yeah. And, and, and think about it. Like there's a lot of talk in the circles I'm in, whether it's, you know, my men's group or with my clients or with my, like, what is your story? What's the narrative? What, what, what are you talking about yourself in your head? And really what we're talking about from a parenting point of view is how do you create a narrative and a story that is going to bring life to your kid? Because eventually what we want them to say is, I am self-controlled. I am valued. Mm. I, I am competent. Um, there's this term I use. It's called inner wealth. It's I have what it takes. I'm competent, and I can overcome whatever challenges is brought to me. And, and when when kids are operating from that, and then they turn into adults and are operating from that that belief system that was initiated by their parents. Like, what a gift to give our kids. Yeah, and you know we're in this dad's group together, and, and this is how we we got connected, but. For, for those of you listening, you know, we in our in our group, this is for for dads and business owners and, and husbands um, working through all of these dynamics together as a community. But we kind of go in six week sprints where we're focusing on on different things. And so for me, for this, it, and it's very, very timely that we're having this conversation. But with my focus for the six week sprint is is being very intentional about being more present and spending more time with my children and being intentional in terms of actually acknowledging all of the things that we're talking about and not being reactive around misbehaviors. But, you know, for me is, is actually scheduling out things on my calendar time with each of my children, attending sporting events, like being more present, making concerted efforts to do that. But I've also found myself after having talked with you and then aligning with some of the stuff that we've been learning in the group, as well as what we do in our coaching practice is actually making concerted efforts to give the positive feedback to my children at times, you know, where they are displaying those characteristics and, and those traits that I appreciate the respect, yeah. you know, the honesty, the ownership, the responsibility, right? All of the, the kindness, all of those types of things. And it really makes a big difference. Yeah. And what I, I noticed is like for my son, when he first started going to jujitsu, so he's been going, he's seven, he's, he's been going to jujitsu for two years now. And he was having a lot of behavioral issues prior, maybe just because he was you know four or five years old or whatever, but he started to go to jujitsu and his sensei started to acknowledge him for his posture and for his respect when he would show up at jujitsu. And so now every time he goes, he takes on these characteristics of it's just who he is in this environment. The coach is always pointing to Caleb and his posture and his respect. And it's just mouth shut, attentive, disciplined. And it's like, he's a different person. Totally. And so, so interesting. You know, what's so awesome about that, Ben, is that is a real life example of how the prize, the, the sensei, whoever, whoever this is, said, this is how you belong. This is how you're going to be seen and noticed. And your son wants to belong, wants to be right. seen and noticed. And the more specific he was, the easier it was for him to meet, like step up, you know, right. your mouth shut, that shows respect. Describing that in detail gives kids clarity on what to do. Usually we're super clear about what they did wrong, but when right. they're, they're doing something well, we're like, oh, that was good. Awesome. 
You know, mm-hmm. hey, you did, you did great on that test. But when they're disrespectful, it's like you were talking when you weren't supposed to. You know, you don't speak up unless you raise your hand. And like we give all the specific, clear examples of how to be noticed, but it's at the wrong possible time. So by virtue of us starting to pay attention to all of the great things that they do on a daily basis, which, by the way, is is probably the vast majority of of the day from definitely the vast majority of the day. What I'm hearing is that instead of us attacking the poor behaviors by virtue of us making concerted efforts of focusing on the good behaviors, the behaviors that align with the characteristics that we want our children to have and that likely they want to have, that it's it's going to continue to reinforce those things to the degree Mm -hmm. that it will naturally help them create autonomy over the type of person and the, the level of praise that they want and the ownership over right over who they want to be. Yeah. And this is why this is so important. When, when Caleb is getting reprimanded or told, don't do this, don't do that. When you act that way, like what is his posture? What is his presence or his attitude when he's hearing that information? Like if you were to visibly see him, how does, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, I think he's in, invariably closed off. Yeah. He's aloof. He doesn't Probably care. not making eye contact. Right. He's shoulders off. He's not like open to receive. But when he's being accused and confronted for, you know, his posture and his respect, you know, he probably stands. But you can see that it, right. it, it, it's, it's energy, either good or bad, positive or negative. But one is building up just like nutrition, right? One is adding to the muscles. One is adding, you know, to the blood. What, what? One is giving life. The other one is like junk food. Totally. You know, so it, it doesn't surprise me that when he hears that stuff, like he's being fed psychological nutrition that's actually healthy and helping him grow in his confidence. Yeah. And then it becomes congruent with the type of person he really is. And then that's why the behavior transforms and it's permanent. It's not temporary situation. It makes a lot of sense. And I, I think it's a great analogy for, you know, talking about the, the psychological junk food that we feed our children where it's like, Hey, just this generalized, great job. You're awesome. You know, you did great on the test versus the specificity that comes when we're reprimanding them and instead shifting it to really feeding them nutritionally, psychologically dense, I don't know, feedback, right? Yeah around who it is that the, the type of person that they're becoming. So, so what further steps can we take? And Dan, I do want to address like creating this home environment, not just psychologically speaking, but also, you know, let's talk kind of nutrition briefly and what in your experience, how does nutrition play into our children's behavior? So I'll say a couple of things about that. No, number one, by no means am I an expert in nutrition and how it affects behavior. I can, I can speak based on my experience and observation, um, but it, it's very rare for me to meet kids that are not negatively affected by eating junk food, whether they're skipping meals, whether they're eating snacks, whether they're drinking anything but water. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not going to be able to speak intelligently about what that looks like and happens. That's fine. My, my, my expertise is more the relationship connection. But I, I'll tell you this, like just with my own kids, my, my youngest, he's an anxious kid. He also eats the worst in our home. He's addicted to sugar. Like he would eat candy and junk food all day if he could. Yeah. And what I know about, especially people that struggle with anxiety, any relief you can get from those moments of elevated anxiety, they'll take it. And if that means drinking alcohol drinking a pop, if that means eating a donut, having a bowl of ice cream, like there's an adrenaline, a surge, dopamine, uh, sugar kick, a dopamine kick yeah. that makes you feel better. And if you're not careful, you, you, you know, kids will start to self-medicate through food. hundred percent. But yeah. I imagine, listen, if we're working to change behaviors in the home, it's not just about the words that we use. Uh, it's not just about developing the psychological connection and reinforcing the good behaviors, but it's also, as I've, as I've been alluding to, it's about setting the example around the, the nutritional behaviors 
that mm-hmm. these children are practicing because we do know very clearly, and I can speak very intelligibly about the impact of sugar on our children and ourselves, but especially in the developing brain, especially when they're eating junk food that are, are starting their day with sugar. It's setting us up even just from a neurotransmitter standpoint, from feel good chemicals, it's setting us up for disaster. And so I feel like it's only appropriate to address that as a foundational component to helping to set the best stage to improve our children's behavior in conjunction with obviously our ability to have the tools to be able to speak to and work to create the relationships with them around the kind of the the positive feedback that we want to reinforce. What about technology? What's your experience with technology and how it perpetuates this lack of attentiveness? I use the quote, air quotes, ADHD type of behaviors. Is that relevant? Oh yeah, hundred percent. And I would say a lot of people it's easy to make that connection with the more screen time, the more inattentive or hyperactive you are because you're just training your brain to constantly need stimulation. The thing that I think is maybe less common, but in my experience, just as damaging is it's creating a lot of anxiety in kids because kids are socializing online, not face-to-face. Right. We're, We're not meant to be interacting through technology only. We're supposed to be face-to-face. There's different neurochemicals, there's different neurology, there's different connections in the brain that's happening when you're in the presence of someone. And kids are really struggling socially because they don't have the social skills, the cues, they're not familiar, they're not getting the experience because a lot of their time interacting with their friends is online. And think about that year, year and a half where kids were online doing schooling, especially if you're in the elementary years. Yeah. Like the whole time there is like learning how to get along with kids. And the other part too, that I think too much screen time or interacting online with friends, um, one of the consequences is kids are emotionally dysregulated. Like they don't know how to control their anger. Right. They don't know how to deal with like frustration because they're not getting the reps. Like you get, you say something I don't like, I can hang up on you. You know, or you're, you're interacting virtually. It's very different than when you're doing it live and you have somebody there to help kind of teach and coach and guide you on how to express what you're thinking and feeling. And yeah, kids just problem solving skills and relational skills from an emotional part of stomach too. I'm very motivated by and encouraged by the opportunity that we have to leverage these types of tools and skills that you've been discussing. And that is your expertise over what, 25 years now? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's awesome. So tell us a little bit more about how your coaching program works. Yeah. So my wheelhouse is I have a 90 day coaching process or a program. I take parents to learn and master those, those three steps I was talking about. How do you disengage from like the drama, not give all that unnecessary energy to the problem? How do you learn and master how to connect to your kids, see and notice them, but in a way that is actually building them up and Mm. and giving them what they're needing emotionally, psychologically, that nutritious content. And then the third step, which we didn't really talk a whole lot about today, but is how do you hold your kid accountable and and really discipline them? Because kids are going to break rules. Right. But how do you do it in a way that stays congruent with the value system as opposed to you did something wrong. I'm frustrated with it. So I'm, I'm lecturing you or I'm yelling at you or, you know, I'm inconsistent. Or I think a lot of times we use consequences and punishment to try to shape behavior, but we don't really have a plan. It's, it's, it's more of a kind of a default response. Could you give us a brief <clears throat> example of, of that level of accountability based sure. on, on misbehavior? Envision being a referee of a, a basketball game. If a player steps out of bounds, even if their toes on the line, the, the ref blows the whistle. The ref doesn't say, oh, you got ADD. You know, we're going to put you on some special program. Or the ref isn't chasing the player down the court saying, look out, look out. You're about ready to step out. If you do, mm, you know, you're going to be kicked right. out. Could you imagine how ridiculous that would be? Right. <laughs> it, it, it's really about modeling that kind of framework where if you break a rule, we, I use a, a code word. It's called reset. I just say reset. I don't even tell them what they did wrong. Say, so say they're talking back or they're yelling. I just say reset. 
And I disconnect. I, I just, I trust that my kid's going to be able to figure it out and they're going to correct the behavior. When they do, I am all over that. You stopped yelling, you figured it out. You're not yelling anymore. You're back to being respectful. And, and the emphasis and the energy is on how do you fix the problem? And I trust that you can figure it out. So you get the credit rather than me trying to micromanage you. Yeah. Now, if they continue and they don't correct the behavior, well, then they need a consequence. Kind of like in a game, they might give a technical foul. You might get ejected or temporarily suspended. But I'm not emotionally invested whether you're inbounds or out of bounds. My, my job is to hold you accountable and trust you're going to play according to the rules. And it, it's so much more enjoyable to discipline your kids from that mindset as opposed to trying to get them to stop or, you know, being all bent out of shape because it happened five times in a row. Well, I'd love that in so many ways because it does. I mean, it gives them autonomy. Yeah. And I can't imagine. I imagine that's exactly what kids want. They want to be responsible. They want to, to they want show to up. know that you believe they're responsible. And right. before they can believe that for themselves, you have to believe it first. It, what I'm hearing is you're working mostly with the parents and you're Only not exclusively with the parents. Great. And so then we're acknowledging, hey, there's a lot of things that we can be doing better to help our children improve their behavior so that it's not a situation where we're saying something's wrong with them. They need counseling. They need therapy. Instead, let's give them the opportunity to not try and point the finger and tell them that there's something wrong. And instead let's address the way that we're communicating. So when we start working together, you said you have a 90 day program. What will we typically see by virtue of that coaching process on the other side? How has the, the dynamic changed? Oh, they like significantly. You're enjoying your kid's presence. They are more accountable They're And, and what you're going to notice too, Ben, is that there's going to be a dramatic improvement in behavior not because of the discipline, but because you got your energy flipped because you're building yeah. your kid up and you're connecting that way. So a lot less drama, a lot less um, emotional outbursts. They're going to be shorter. They're going to be um, less intense. They're going to be less frequent. You're going to see a, a lot more of positive behavior and an increase in that that is child-led rather than attached to some kind of carrot that you're dangling in front of their head. Yeah. And, and the other thing too is, you as the parent are going to be in a better mood and the energy in the home is going to be changed because you're training yourself to see greatness, the things that are going well and the abundance that it's occurring, not just the out of the ordinary things. There's right. so much more going well than going wrong, but our brains aren't trained to see that unless we train them. So that, that's, that's a, another big payoff is parents' mood is better. Their stress yeah. is done. I love that. And it's definitely, as I, as I discussed earlier in the call, it's something that I'm really making a concerted effort to work towards. And I have to say that despite the fact that I have a, a lot of room for improvement, you know, just trying to be proactive, just making a concerted effort to acknowledge the things that the kids are doing well, definitely makes a difference. It makes a difference in how tall they're standing and feeling like they're being acknowledged and seen and heard. And it makes a difference in how I handle my stress levels and how I become less reactive. And frankly, it makes a difference in terms of the relationship with my wife as well, in terms of, you know, good guy, bad guy, situational awareness, and just her observing the way that I'm behaving and um, replicating that. I'm glad you brought that up, Ben, because that, that's one of the other payoffs I forgot to mention is a lot of times when parents are coming to me asking for help, they're butting heads on something when it comes to parenting. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's usually trying to get the other person to stop doing something or do it the way I do. Right. Which there's a whole psychology behind that. But the outcome is our connection is better. We're more on the same page because we both have a plan that we're invested in and we have the tools to make it happen. So naturally our relationship is going to be less stressed and we're going to be more connected. I mean, you're never going to change anyone else, especially your significant other. By, by telling them what they should or shouldn't be doing, but instead is by leading by example and hopefully that they will um, follow suit if and when they're ready. And that's why I think this conversation is so important because in the realm of changing our beliefs around what it means to be healthy, in the realm of taking ownership over our health and fitness, of 
acknowledging that we are the only ones in control of our behaviors and the outcome of our situations at the end of the day, I think that it's only appropriate that we acknowledge that it's not dissimilar with our, the relationships with our kids. And so within that, if we can find ways to mitigate stress in our life, to improve the quality of our life, not just through nutrition and fitness and health, but also through our relationships, particularly with those that we love the most, well, it's only going to be advantageous for us and, and, and the quality of life that we live. And like I said, there's nothing that parents want more than to create relationships and connection with their children. For me, you know, there's, there's a limited number of years that I have with them under my house, you know, under my roof. And I want to make the most of those. And I want to set the best example possible. I want to be the best dad and father and, and, and husband um, and leader that I can be. And, and I know that you're doing the same and you're changing the world by virtue of, of your practice, which I applaud and acknowledge you for. And want to thank you so much, Dan, for taking the time to, to come on and share your wisdom with our listeners. Dan, and, and we'll have all of the information in the show notes, but what's the best place for people to go right now to find out more about you and your coaching program? Yeah, just go to my website, thecompassforlife.com. That's the number four. I have videos. I have a couple of free resources for parents and for teachers. Um, and then just shoot me an email. I have lots of different ways that I can go about helping parents, but the best way is just to reach out to me directly and we can start a conversation that way. Amazing. So if you, if you're listening, if you feel like there are steps that you need to be taking to help improve these relationships with your children, to take control of the situation and be the type of parent that you know you can be, and you want help with that, then shoot Dan a message. And just have a conversation and see if it makes sense to work together. That would be absolutely something that I would ask of you. Dan, thank you so much, dude. I, I'm really, really grateful for, for your time and, and applaud you for everything that you're doing right now. Yeah, appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk to your audience. Heck yeah, man. All right. Best of luck, brother. We'll talk soon. And for all of you listening, thank you so much. We'll catch you guys in the next episode. Make it a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for listening, and if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. Three, subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com. Four, leave a five-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple. 